Origins and Existence Origins There is great luxuriance about Irish mythology, filled with gods, goddesses, heroes, spirits and fantastic creatures of all sorts. This is particularly conspicuous when it comes to the history and characteristics of the fairy folk, more commonly known in Ireland as the good people. As with most mythological characters the origins of these people are confused and the subject of widespread debate. One popular belief concerning the origins of the fairy folk suggests their beginnings are linked to a group of invaders known as the Tuatha Danann, which means the people of the goddess Danu, who were revered as gods by the native Irish. Over time, however, the Tuatha Danann succumbed to fresh invaders, who banished these so-called gods to the underground portion of Ireland. It is from this that people came to believe that fairies lived under the ground, and they came to be called the she, pronounced, she. Another popular belief, that may arise from after the arrival of Christianity in Ireland, suggests that the fairy folk were once angels and were so numerous that they formed a large part of the population in heaven. When Satan turned against God and gathered a host of angels around him in open rebellion, there were some who did not want to join in the war that followed. They were fearful of the consequences that might be visited upon them by the victor and, therefore, preferred to see who won the battle before taking sides. Then, when the rebellious angels were defeated and expelled from heaven, those angels who had stood aside and did nothing were also banished. The offense of these neutral angels was one of omission rather than rebellion and they were not consigned to an eternity in the pit of hell with Satan and his followers. They were, instead, sent to earth where they were to remain, but not without hope that they may receive a pardon on the last day and be readmitted to heaven. They are, therefore, expected to be on best behavior, but they do retain the power to do a great amount of harm. It is for this reason that they are feared and only spoken of in quiet among the rural Irish, even today. Stories about the fairy folk have been heard from all parts of the world, and one of the most interesting and consistent things about them appears to be that they can shape-shift and make themselves look like anyone or anything they wish. They are, however, believed to be smaller than humans, averaging a height of between three and four feet. Generally, within Irish folklore, the fairy folk are described as being slightly taller than people and very beautiful, with reports suggesting that some fairies, such as the Irish she, were typically of a height of seven feet tall. One report I read says, though, by nature, they're not the length of your finger, they can make themselves the size of a tower when it pleases them, and have that ugliness that you'd faint with the looks of them, as knowing they can strike you dead on the spot or change you into a dog, or a pig, or a unicorn, or any other dirty beast they please. These good people were often seen wearing clothes of red and green that depended upon the tribe to which they belonged and their rank within the tribe. Some were described as having green skin, while other sources described them as looking much like humans but with a strange, otherworldly aura about them. And the appearance of being either very young or very old to help in the perception of mortals to their wisdom. It is said that, generally, the people of the fairy hills were very pale and were usually finely dressed, but otherwise were human-like in their appearance. Stories say that the fairy folk often appear wearing green, red or grey clothing, and may have blonde or brown hair. They could be either male or female and could appear either alone or in groups. But, when it comes to their clothes, the records generally agree that young lady fairies wear pure white robes and usually allow their hair to flow loosely over their shoulders. Meanwhile, the more matronly fairies tie up their tresses in a coil on the top or back of the head and surrounding their temple with a golden band. The young gentlemen fairies wear green jackets, with white breeches and stockings. But, when a fairy of either sex has need of a cap or head covering, they will use the flower of the foxglove. 
Within Irish folklore, however, the female fairies are known to appear with messages or warnings, while groups of male fairies would gather to play games of hurling, for which they needed a single human player in order to have the game. Existence It has, in the past, been considered irreverent and bad luck to call the fairy folk by that name, or simply fairies, and the rural folk of Ireland became accustomed to creating more genteel substitutes such as the good people. 1. Although this reluctance to use the term fairies seems to be relaxing in these modern days, there is still a widespread preference to use the substitute names instead. In this article we will try to remain with those terms that most people are familiar with, such as the wee folk or the little people. It is likely that such terms were derived as a means of minimizing their power and influence, and as a description of their physical stature. Many in the world have heard of the Irish leprechaun and consider them to be members of the fairy folk, but they are said by some to be unfit associates for the good people. Nevertheless, the good people are a sociable community who always live in large societies with each member involved in a plan of work that is to the benefit of all. They own all their property, the kind and value of which is unknown, in common and are united in their desire to achieve any communal objective. But they are, however, divided into groups of evil or good, which are occasionally involved in nighttime battles with each other. The male fairies are very familiar with every military role and, like most of Ireland's population, are divided into various factions. But, unlike other the mortal factions, the objects of contention among the fairy factions is rarely known for definite. There is a report of a great battle among the fairies that occurred many years ago in County Kerry. One party of fairy warriors stood upon a rath, while the opposing army of fairies stood on an unused and lonely graveyard. The only mortal to witness the encounter was Paddy O'Donoghue, who related what he saw as follows, Sure, wasn't I lying beside the road, being on my way home, weak and tired with all the walking I had done. There was a bright moon out that night, and I heard a noise like a million soldiers tramping on the road, so I rose up and looked, and the way ahead was full of little men. These creatures were just the length of my hand, with green coats on, and all stood in rows like one of those army regiments, each man with a pike on his shoulder and a shield on his arm. One was in the front, as if he was the general, walking with his chin up as proud as a peacock. By God, but I was terribly scared, and I prayed faster than ever I had done in my life, for they were far too close to me for comfort or convenience. But they all went by, not a single one of them turning his head to look at me at all, thanks be to God for that, and so, they left me. After they were completely gone, I was curious to see what they were after, so I followed them, a good bit behind them, and ready to jump and run like a hare at the least noise, for I was afraid that if they caught me, they'd make me a pig at once or change me into some kind of a beast. They marched into the field between the graveyard and the wrath, and there was another army there with red coats, from the graveyard, and the two armies had the biggest fight you've ever seen, the greens against the reds. After looking on for a bit, I got excited, for the greens were beating the reds badly, and I up and gave a yahoo and called out, at them again. Don't leave one of those blackguards untouched. And with that word, the sight left my eyes and I remember no more until morning, and there I was, lying on the road where I had seen them, as stiff as a crutch. They say that fairy bodies are not composed of flesh and bone like we mortals, but of a kind of ethereal substance whose true nature is unknown. They can be clearly seen by some, many reports of which have been recorded, but some observers also tell us that they can also be seen through as if looking through a mist. In Ireland there is a belief that the fairies have a white blood, which is spilled in those occasional night battles between different groups of which the only evidence appears to be the remains of an inexplicable white liquid, fairy blood. Two, they have, of course, 
The power of being able to vanish from the sight of mortals and the fact that the air seems to be filled with their presence causes ordinary mortals to give them respect. There are reports of them being heard without being seen, especially when they travel through the air and are recognized by the humming noise like that made by swarms of bees. It must be said, however, that despite modern artistic interpretations of the fairy folk there is no evidence as to them possessing wings. A certain carry man, called Barney Murphy, thought that they had wings for he had seen several a number of years ago that seemed to have long, semi-transparent pinions, like them that grows on a dragonfly, described them. But Barney's neighbors, however, contradicted his report by adamantly denying that the good people had wings, suggesting that at the time Barney saw the fairies he was too drunk to distinguish a pair of wings from a pair of legs, and so this evidence of fairy wings must remain in doubt. Fairy lore allows us to divide the good people into two distinct categories, i.e. trooping fairies or solitary fairies. The trooping fairies are a matriarchal society and they consider socialization and status important within their community. Moreover, they can be further divided into those who are known to be good and those who are more disposed to be bad. The solitary fairies obviously live alone, but they are known to attach themselves to a certain family or house. But, despite what type of fairy is present, it is often recommended that local people leave offerings outside their homes overnight as a means of appeasing them. Even if the food offered is still there the next morning the people believed that it was the fairies would have appreciated the thought at least. The people had other means and methods to prevent bad things from happening to them, including the keeping of a few charms and talismans handy that might just work against fairy magic. Iron is the most well-known and effective element to ward off the fairy folk, though steel might prove to be a better weapon because it is a much purer form of iron. In Irish folklore it is known that the importance of iron does not just lie in its ability to ward off the fairies. It is also known as a means of deterring ghosts, witches, and more supernatural beings. The sound of bells and whistling can also keep away fairies and, if you ever found yourself being chased by evil fairies, you could leap to safety by crossing running water. By throwing burning embers at the fairies you could drive them away from entering your house, and some people would sprinkle their clothes with oatmeal while also carrying some in their pockets to guard against the fairies approaching. Four-leaf clovers have always been considered lucky and will break any fairy magic, or you could always plant a rowan tree outside your house or as a last choice you could simply try any blessed religious item. But mortals should always remember that there are many reasons as to why you should not even think of offending the fairies. Stories have described how fairy folk, when they feel themselves offended might lift extremely heavy objects, leave your hair in terrible tangles, or even replace your child with one of their own, or a magical block of wood. The Other World In the mythology of Ireland, we have learned that the good people are derived from Tuatha De and are the original inhabitants of the Hollow Hills. They are the beings most strongly associated with agriculture and the produce of the land, and those Hollow Hills in which they live are believed to be the entrances to their land of the fairy folk, sometimes called fairyland. The good people were just as likely to be connected to mysterious, otherworldly islands that usually appeared in the west to fishermen but could never be reached, as they were to the hills and mounds of Ireland itself. McNeil, M., The Silver Bough, Volume 1, 1956. In Irish lore, the fairy folk are everywhere. They live in the land, on the sea, and in the air. They are associated with the mounds and stone circles that litter the Irish landscape, as well as the multitude of watery places such as wells, springs, the sea and bogs, caverns, and strange swirls of wind, as well as specific trees, particularly lone hawthorn trees. 
It is also common belief in Ireland that the fairy folk live in a parallel world to our own into which mortals can accidentally enter through fairy rings. Although this other world may run in parallel to our own, time does not pass in the same way as it does in our mortal world. Tradition tells us that once a mortal enters this fairy land, there is almost no means of going back to their own world, and many Irish tales abound with stories concerning those people who were kidnapped by the fairy folk. Within these tales we can see that the concept of the fairy land in Irish minds was just as complex as their beliefs about the fairy folk that inhabited that land. On every occasion these fairy lands were always described as being places of great beauty, wealth and peace. It is, therefore, not surprising to read in these stories that many mortals brought to such places did not want to leave until an overwhelming longing overtook them to see their families and homes. But, when these people did leave the fairy land they would discover that hundreds of years had passed, and they would die and fade into dust as soon as they came in contact with mortality once again. The good people are not confined just to their own realms, or the area around the entrances into those realms. Many stories reveal that they were able to go out into our world, occasionally appearing in local markets and fairs. Often, they would go unrecognized in such places, unless someone with a second sight saw them or they encountered someone who had previously dealt with them and still retained the ability to see them. In the fairy lore of the Celts, the good people are described as being ruled by a monarchy and included a working class who were permitted to visit human markets and fairs in disguise, or were able to appear to farmers as people seeking to borrow something from them. When seen they were often riding on fine horses, colored black, white or gray, and with hounds following. In older tales it is indicated that the deer in the forests are the cattle of the fairies. 3. But it is on the quarter days Samhain, Imbolc, Beltane, and Luvnissa that the good people are said to be particularly active, moving from one hollow hill to another along long-established fairy roads. At Samhain and Beltane fairy influence is at its strongest and all mortals should take great care to avoid upsetting them. Beltane was known to be a time when the good people traveled the land, appearing as a stranger at the door of various houses asking for milk, or a coal from the fire. By giving these items to the good people it was said the household would have secured good luck for the year ahead. At Samhain, however, they are known to move from their summer to their winter homes in the hollow hills, and it is said that mortals face great danger if they come across them at night, for they are especially active between twilight and midnight. They travel in large bands and, although their parties are never seen in the daytime, there is little difficulty in following their line of march, for it has been reported that, sure they make the most terrible little cloud of dust ever raised, and not a bit of wind causing it at all, so that a fairy migration is sometimes the talk of the entire county. The most malicious fairy host, an airborne tribe, are known to be most active at night, appearing as a wind that is very much feared by the country people. When this wind comes upon them the people avert their eyes from it and pray for safety because they sometimes take people. These mortals are often taken great distances, where they may be kept forever, helping the good people as they carry out their mayhem and mischief throughout the country. The fairy folk are usually invisible to the eyes of mortal people, unless they wish for themselves to be seen, or the mortal has the gift of second sight. This ability to seem invisible is due to their power to deceive human senses by making one thing appear like another, such as making a handful of leaves being made to look like gold coins. Nevertheless, their movements along fairy paths and roads can be noticed by other means. The good people are known to ride out in procession, or fairy raids, which could prove to be dangerous to any mortal beings that they came across. As they ride out, they can create sudden whirlwinds or sudden blasts of wind, and they are known to present a threat to new brides, midwives and newborn babies. 
The good people have the family relations of husband and wife, parent and child, and although it is said by some that fairy husbands and wives have as many little disagreements as are found in mortal households, for, sure a woman's tongue is longer than a man's patience, and a husband is bound to be nagged incessantly day in and day out, for a woman's jaw is sharpened on the devil's grindstone, yet opinions unfavorable to married happiness among the fairies are not generally well received. On the contrary, it is believed that married life in fairy circles is regulated on the basis of the absolute submission of the wife to the husband. This particular point was explained by a Donegal woman in this way, they're one, that's the husband and the wife, but he's more the one than she is. Meanwhile, the love of children is one of the most prominent traits of fairy character, but as it manifests itself by stealing beautiful babes, replacing them by young leprechauns as changelings, the fairies are much dreaded by mothers along the west coast of Ireland, and they take many precautions against the fairy folk. Thefts of this kind now rarely occur, but at one time they were common, as in them old days, you could see ten fairies where there isn't one now, because they are leaving the country. A notable case of baby stealing occurred in the family of Terman McGrath, who had a castle, now in picturesque ruins, on the shore of Loch Urn, in the county Donegal. The person telling the story was a wise woman who lived in what was an apology for a cabin. It was, indeed, a thatched shed that had been placed against the precipitous side of the glen almost beneath the castle. The wretched shelter was nearly concealed from view by the overhanging branches of a large tree and by thick undergrowth, and seemed unfit for a pigsty, but, though her surroundings were poor beyond description, Old Meg, as her neighbor said, knew a great deal about fairies and witches and could keep them from a baby better than any woman that had ever drew breath. Giving her a bit of tobacco, to enable her to take a draw of the pipe, quickly brought out the story. It's many years ago, that Terman McGrath went, with all his army, to the war in the county of Tyrone, and while he was gone the baby was born and they called her Eva. She was her mother's first, so she felt mighty uneasy in her mind about her, knowing that the good people always go after the first one that comes, and even more when it's a girl they try harder to steal than when it's a boy, because they believe that they're easier to rear, although it's me that doesn't believe that one girl makes more trouble than do ten boys and isn't as good. So, when the baby was born they sent out for an old witch of a widow who had set herself up as a wise woman, and she knew no more about doctoring than a pig, but they thought she could keep away the fairies, and that's a job that takes one who tries to have no end of knowledge in the fairy folk. But the poor old woman did the best that she knew how, and so, God be good to her, she wasn't to be blamed for that. But it's the likes of her that put shame on them that have great knowledge of such things, for they make people think all wise women as ignorant as she is, herself. So she made the sign of the cross on the baby's forehead with ashes, and she told them to bite off its nails and not to cut them until nine weeks had passed, and she held a burning candle before its eyes, so it would do the deeds of light and not of darkness, and mixed sugar and salt and oil, and gave it to her, so that her life would be sweet and long preserved and go smooth, but the old widow forgot one thing. She didn't put a lucky shamrock, that's got four leaves, in a gospel and tie it around the baby's neck with a thread pulled out of her gown, and not remembering to do this, all the rest was no good at all. Nor did she tell the mother not to take her eyes off the child until the ninth day, for after that the fairies couldn't take her. So the nurse took the baby into the next room and laid it on the bed, and went away for a minute, but thinking that she heard it cry, back she came and there was the baby, bedclothes and all just going through the floor, being dragged away by the fairies. The nurse scratched and caught the clothes and the maid helped her, so that the two of them pulled with all their might and got the bedclothes up again, but while the child was out of sight, the fairies changed it and put a fairy child in its place, 
but the nurse didn't know what the fairies had done, nor had the old witch, that shows she was an ignorant woman entirely. But the fairies took Eva away under the lake where they treated her wonderfully. Every night they gave her a dance, with the loveliest music that was ever heard, with big drums and little drums, and fiddles and pipes and trumpets, for such a band the good people do have when they give a dance. So she grew and the queen said she should have a husband among the fairies, but she fell in love with an old leprechaun, and the queen, to prevent such a thing, let her walk on the shore of the lake where she met Darby O'Hooligan and loved him and married him with the queen's consent. The queen told her to tell him if he struck her three blows without a reason, she'd leave him and come back to the fairies. The queen gave her a great number of riches, sheep and pigs without number and more oxen than you could count in a week. So, she and Darby lived together as happy as two doves, and she hadn't as much care as a blind piper's dog, moreover, they had two boys as good-looking as their mother and as strong as their father. One day, after they'd been married seventeen years, she and Darby were going to a wedding, and she was slow, so Darby told her for to hurry and gave her a slap on the shoulder with the palm of his hand, and she began to cry. He asked her what was wrong with her and she told him he'd struck her the first of the three blows. So, he was very sorry and said he'd be careful in the future, but it wasn't more than a year after, when he was teaching one of the boys to use a stick, that she got behind him and got hit with the shillelagh. That was the second blow, and made her lose her temper, and they had a real quarrel. So, he got mad, saying that neither of the blows ought to be counted, for they were both accidental. So, he flung the stick against the wall, devil take the stick, he said, and went out quick, and the stick fell back from the wall and hit her on the head. That's the third, she said, and she kissed her sons and walked out. Then she called the cows in the field and they left their grazing and followed her, she called the oxen in the stalls and they stopped eating and came out, and she spoke to the calf that was hanging in the yard, that they'd killed that morning and it got down and came along. The lamb that was killed the day before, it came, and the pigs that were salted and hanging up to dry, they came, all after her in a string. Then she called to her things in the house, and the chairs walked out, and the tables, and the chest of drawers, and the boxes, all of them put out legs like beasts and came along, with the pots and pans, and gridiron, and buckets, and noggins, leaving the house as bare as an evicted tenants, and all after her to the lake, where they went under and disappeared, and haven't been seen by man to this blessed day. Now, there's some that say the story isn't true, because, they say how would a woman do such a thing and go off that away and take everything she had, just because her husband hit her by accident those three times. But those who say it forget that she was a young woman, even if she did have those boys I was telling you about, and faith, it's no lie I'm saying, that it's not in the power of the angels of God to be knowing what a young woman will be doing. After they get old, and losing their teeth, and their beauty goes, then they're sober and get over those notions, but it takes a long time to make an old one out of a young lamb. But she didn't forget the boys she'd left, and once in a while she'd come to the edge of the lake when they were close by the bank and spoke with them for even if she was half a fairy, she'd a mother's heart that the good God put in her bosom, and one time they saw her with little man along with her, that was a leprechaun as they knew by the look of him, and that makes me believe that the real reason for her leaving her husband was to get back the old leprechaun she was in love with before she was married to Darby O'Hooligan. The fairy folk are known to have produced children with humans and in order to procreate they have a nasty habit of stealing a bride from her wedding to marry one of their own kind instead. At some later date they might even kidnap a midwife to assist the bride to deliver the child of her fairy husband. Their penchant for kidnapping new brides is believed to be a result of their low birth rate and the need to increase their population with human babies and women. There are some who mighty dispute this cause, 
but what other cause could there be for stealing brides and babies, for which they are famed? Within Irish folklore there are ample stories concerning kidnapped midwives and musicians who are released back into their own world after an agreed time period. Normally, those mortals taken into the fairy realm can never return if they eat or drink anything while there, but this rule does not hold for those who are taken for a predetermined time period. There are also stories of those who go to the good people for a single night of dancing and entertainment only to emerge the next morning to find that four, forty, or four hundred years have passed in the mortal world. The fairies commonly made their homes only in raths and tumuli of pagan days in Ireland, and, for this reason, the raths are much dreaded, and after sundown are avoided by the ordinary peasant folk. Attempts have been made to remove some of these raths from the landscape, but the unwillingness of the local people to engage in the work, no matter what inducements may be offered to them, has generally resulted in the work being abandoned. It has been reported that on one of the islands in the upper lake of Killarney there is a rath, and the proprietor, finding it occupied too much ground, resolved to have it leveled to increase the arable surface of the field. The work was begun, but one morning, in the early dawn, as the laborers were crossing the lake on their way to the island, they saw a procession of about two hundred persons, dressed like monks, leave the island and proceed to the mainland, followed, as the workmen thought, by a long line of small, shining figures. The phenomenon might have been genuine, but a mirage is by no means an uncommon appearance in some parts of Ireland, nevertheless work on the wrath was at once postponed indefinitely. Besides wraths, old castles, deserted graveyards, ruined churches, secluded glens in the mountains, springs, lakes, and caves are all homes and resorts to fairies, as is very well known on Ireland's west coast. As we know, there are many fairy hills and raths that exist throughout the island of Ireland and between them run fairy roads and paths which are also invisible to mortal eyes. It is traditional that people refuse to build on such roads and paths, because to do so will inevitably bring the builder bad luck and often death. It is not such a good idea to disturb the site of the good people's home, and to dig into a fairy mound, or cut down a fairy tree, will certainly bring the disturber misfortune and, perhaps, death. Even in this modern, technologically advanced society that Ireland has become there is still a very strong belief in such things will participate in protests against many road plans if it interferes with fairy trees, raths or mounds. It is also a fact that heavy fines can be placed upon those people who would destroy or damage fairy mounds, even if they are on private property. The good people can either bless or harm mortals with whom they come into contact, and their gifts could bring great blessings to those who receive them or they can be simple illusions that become worthless by dawn. In the same way the fairy wind can bring illness or cause injury to humans including a sudden cramp, or stitch that tradition says is caused by an invisible shot from an arrow fired by a disgruntled fairy. In some cases, this fairy shot might be used against cattle and would cause them to waste away after they are struck, but it was a power that could be granted to witches that are close to the good people. In fact, it was widely believed in Ireland that witches learned their magic arts, for good or bad, from the good people with whom they were believed to closely associate themselves. Such friends of the fairy folk were, of course, privy taught special knowledge and things like magic and healing. A favored musician, a harpist or piper, might be given greater skill or particularly good instrument. The main amusements of the fairies consist of music, dancing, and ball playing. In music their skill exceeds that of men, while their dancing is perfect, the only drawback being the fact that it blights the grass, fairy rings of dead grass, apparently caused by a peculiar fungus growth, being common in Ireland. Although their musical instruments are few, 
the fairies can use these few with wonderful skill. It is said that near Kalani, in County Sligo, there was a wise woman, whose grandmother's aunt once witnessed a fairy ball, the music for which was furnished by an orchestra which the management had no doubt been at great pains and expense to secure and instruct. She stated, it was the cutest sight alive. There was a place for them to stand on, and a wonderful big fiddle of the size you could sleep in it, that was played by a monstrous frog and two little fiddles, that two kittens fiddled on and two big drums beaten by cats, and two trumpets, played by fat pigs. All around the fairies were dancing like angels, the fireflies giving them light to see by, and the moonbeams shining on the lake, for it was by the shore it was, and if you don't believe it, the glen's still there, that they call the fairy glen to this day. The fairies do much singing, usually in chorus, and their songs were formerly more frequently heard than they are today. Even now a belated peasant, who has been at a wake, or is coming home from a fair, in passing a wrath will sometimes hear the soft strains of their voices in the distance, and will hurry away before they discover his presence and be angry at the unwelcome intrusion on their privacy. When in unusually good spirits they will sometimes admit a mortal to their celebrations, but should he speak, the scene at once vanishes, he becomes insensible, and generally finds himself by the roadside the next morning, with that degree of pains in his arms and legs and back, that if sixteen thousand devils were after him, he couldn't move a toe to save his own soul, that's what the fairies do by pinching and punching him for coming on them and speaking out loud. As previously stated, they might appear as a stranger seeking to borrow something, needing milk or coal from the fire, or be encountered alone in a field or wood, or on a road. Those mortals brave enough to seek them out might choose to sleep on fairy mounds, or rats, or rings, in the knowledge that it would result in either a blessing or madness. Thankfully, there are a variety of charms to protect us against the fairy folk, which are far too numerous to get into any depth with here. One example of these is, to keep a new mother and her baby safe from the fairies they would be given milk from a cow who had eaten a bog violet, mothin. A charm to force a fairy host into releasing anyone they may have taken is to throw the dust from the road, an iron knife, or your left shoe at them and say, this is yours, that is mine. McNeil, M., The Silver Bow, Volume 1, 1956. In those cases where a person is suffering from a bad fairy spell or curse, a fairy doctor must be found, who is a person who has special knowledge of the fairies. These doctors are able to diagnose the exact cause and produce the appropriate charm, chant or herb that will cure the unfortunate victim. Farmers, meanwhile, would tie a red ribbon on their cattle or horses as a means of keeping fairies away. Some would tie a rowan twig onto a cow's tail or lightly strike the animals with rowan or hazel switches to achieve the same aim. Just as rowan and red thread is known to protect things from fairies, there are other well-known protections, such as anything that is made of iron. A means of maintaining good relations with the fairy folk is to offer the gifts such as milk, butter, and bread left by the doorway, or at the roots of a fairy tree, as well as a small amount of whatever one is drinking poured out onto the ground. In some instances, milk might be thrown in the air for the fairies or butter buried near a bog as an offering to them. On holy days, it was customary for some people to offer a heavy porridge that was poured into a hole in the earth, or bread which could be left out, or tossed over the shoulder. Among other people it was customary, on Beltane, to bleed live cattle and offer the blood collected to the fairies. These days people still make offerings to the good people in certain parts of Ireland which include milk, cream, bread or other baked goods, honey, and portions of meals as well as alcohol. In conclusion, it must be pointed out that there appears to be a long-standing and complex association between the fairy folk and the dead. In fact, 
the dead often appear among the ranks of the good people, especially the newly dead. There is also evidence to suggest that better class of fairies are fond of human society and often act as guardians to those they love. In parts of Donegal and Galway they are believed to receive the souls of the dying and escort them to the gates of heaven although they are not allowed to enter with them. On this account, fairies love graves and graveyards, having often been seen walking to and fro among the grassy mounds. There are, indeed, some accounts of faction fights among the fairy bands that are shortly after a funeral, the question in dispute being whether the soul of the departed belonged to one or the other faction. There are many stories within Irish folklore that feature someone seeing a person whom they thought to be dead. This is often explained by saying that the person in question had not died but was taken by the fairy folk and a changeling left behind, which was buried in the person's name. In many stories a person is believed to have died but appears, often in a dream, to a loved one and explains that they have been taken into fairyland and can only be rescued in a certain way. This rescue plan usually involves the living person going to a crossroads at midnight when the fairy raid will pass by and grabbing their loved one from the horse he or she is riding. Giving honor and offerings to the fairy folk is an important aspect of an Irish folklore customs and our traditions that we would all do well to continue in our modern, scientifically and technologically advanced world. The more kindly fairies often take great pleasure in assisting those who treat them with proper respect, and as the favors always take a practical form, there is sometimes a business value in the show of reverence for them. There was Barney Noonan, of the county Leitrim, for instance, who was described in No Better Boy was in the county than Barney. He'd work as regular as a pump and liked a bit of a diversion as well as anybody when he had time for it. That, wasn't often, to be sure, but he couldn't be blamed for that, for he wasn't rich enough by no manner of means to be celebrating regularly. He'd a great regard for the good people, and when he went be the wrath beyond his field, he'd pull off his cap and take the clay pipe out of his mouth, as polite as a dancing master, and say, God save you, ladies and gentlemen that the good people always heard though they never showed themselves to him. He had a bit of bog land, that the hay was on, and after cutting it, he left it to dry and the sun came out beautiful and, in a day or so, the hay was as dry as powder and ready to put away. So Barney was going to put it up, but, it being the day of the fair, he thought he'd take the calf and sell it, and so he did, and coming up with the boys, he stayed over his time, being hindered with the drinking and dancing and chatting up the girls, so it was after dark when he got home and the night as black as a crow, the clouds gathering on the tops of the mountains like evil spirits and creeping down into the glens like angels of destruction, and the wind howling like ten thousand banshees, but Barney didn't mind at all, being stupefied with the drink he had. So the hay never entered the head of him, but in he went and tumbled in bed and was snoring like a horse in two minutes, for he was a bachelor, God bless him and had no wife to nag him and ask him where he'd been, and what he'd been at and make him tell a hundred lies about not getting home before. So, it came on to thunder and lightning like all the evil demons in the universe were fighting with cannons in the sky, and by and by there was a clap loud enough to split your skull and Barney woke up. Damn it, says he to himself, it's going to rain and me hay on the ground. What will I do? Says he. So, he rolled over on the bed and looked out of a crack for to see if it was really raining. And there was the biggest crowd he had ever seen of little men and women. They built a row of fires from the cowhouse to the bog and were coming in a string like the cows going home, each one with his two arms full of hay. Some were in the cowhouse, receiving the hay, some were in the field, raking the hay together, and some were standing with their hands in their pockets as if they were the bosses, telling the rest for to make haste. And so, they did, for every one run like he was going for the doctor, and brought a load and hurried back for more.
Barney looked through the crack at them, crossing himself every minute with admiration for the speed they had. God be good to me, says he to himself, it is not every young man in Leitrim that's got haymakers like them, only he never spoke a word out loud, for he knew very well the good people wouldn't like it. So, they brought in all the hay and put it in the house and then let the fires go out and made another big fire in front of the door and began to dance round it with the sweetest music Barney had ever heard. Now by this time he'd got up and feeling easy in his mind about the hay, began to be very merry. He looked on through the door at them dancing, and by and by they brought out a jug with little tumblers and began to drink something that they poured out of the jug. If Barney had the sense of a herring, he'd have kept still and let them drink their fill without opening the big mouth on him being that he was as full as a goose himself and needed no more, but when he saw the jug and the tumblers and the fairies drinking away with all their might, he got mad and bellowed out like a bull, A.H. now, you little skites, is it drinking you are, and never giving a sup to a thirsty mortal that always treats you as well as he knows how, and immediately the fairies, and the fire, and the jug all went out of his sight, and he went to bed again in a temper. While he was lying there, he thought he heard talking and a secret revelry going on, but when he peeped out again, not a thing did he see but the black night and the rain coming down and each drop would fill a water glass. So, he went to sleep, contented that the hay was in, but not pleased that the good people would be pigs entirely, to be drinking under his eyes and not offer him a taste, no, not so much as a smell of the jug. In the morning up he gets and out to look at the hay and see if the fairies put it in right, for he says, it's a job they're not used to. So, he looked in the cowhouse and thought his eyes would leave him when there wasn't a straw in the house at all. Holy Moses, says he, what have they done with it? And he couldn't conceive what had happened to the hay. So he looked in the field and it was all there, bad luck to the bit of it had the fairies left in the house at all, but when he shouted at them, they got very angry and took all the hay back again to the bog, putting every straw where Barney laid it, and it was as wet as a drowned cat. But it was a lesson to him he never forgot and I'll guarantee you that the next time the fairies help him in with his hay he'll keep still and let them drink themselves to death if they please without saying a word. We should not forget or turn our backs on the fairy realm that has existed side by side with our own for so many centuries. Honoring the fairy folk prevents ill luck befalling us and can bring us good luck and blessings. More importantly it helps us to create a reciprocal relationship between us and the fairy folk that is based on respect and friendship. Nevertheless, it is never a bad idea to know the signs of fairy trouble and how to protect yourself against them or find a fairy doctor or wise woman to help you. But we must remember that the fairies are by no means so numerous these days as they used to be. It is said their demise began with the rapid spread of national schools and Father Matthew's temperance movement throughout Ireland, for it is known they hate learning and wisdom and lovers of nature. In a few remote districts, where the school's scarce, the good people are still to be found, and their doings are told to us with a childlike faith in the power of these first inhabitants of Ireland, for it seems to be agreed among many researchers that they were in the country long before the coming either of the Gale, or of the English oppressor. So it is, that we mortals humans have a long and complex relationship with the fairy folk, and we must always remember that they are just as present today as they have ever been. Dash. 1. Wedden, W. The Sea, The Tuaha de Danon, and the Fairies in Yeats's Early Works, 1998. 2. O. H. Ogden, D. The Lore of Ireland, 2006. 3. O. H. Ogden, D. The Lore of Ireland, 2006.